Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods. Bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Oh, not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can follow me on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by our college partner in crime. We do college football and college basketball with Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2. On gambling, Twitter is where you can find Bill. Championship Saturday in college football, and uh, Bill, it's good to have you aboard. I gotta say, off the bat, this is—I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that like most people's favorite week in college football or one of them. But I just love the way this entire weekend is spread out in the sport, where we get a little appetizer on Friday night, albeit no playoff ramifications now that Oregon has a loss with the Pac-12 title game. And then you have it all spread out on Saturday. Obviously, you got, you know, some a lot of games going on at the same time in that late afternoon window. But the Big 12 game early and then the Pac-10 or the Big 10 game at night. Uh, I just love watching it all play out throughout the day and figuring out the you know, scenarios as the day unfolds of what it means for the playoff. And obviously we get the playoff selection show on, on Sunday. It's really turned into a fun weekend. Yeah. I feel like it always kind of had had that feel, even though, you know, obviously we didn't have the playoff until recently, but he, he still had like the teams that were either undefeated or one loss teams. You didn't know who was going to go to what ball game and who was going to be potentially um, AP number one or coaches poll number one that could potentially be your national champion or, you know, so many years you had split national champions, but yeah, this, this weekend is a lot of fun seeing these, these conference championships and then all these new ones, right? Like there's been 
years in the past where some of these conferences didn't have conference championship games. They just named their champion at the regular season. So it's fun to see this one final game for some of these teams. It's either going to make or break their chances for the playoffs. So a lot on the line this weekend. Before we get into it, we are a gambling podcast, so we're going to run through some of our plays for championship weekend in college football. But we were talking a little bit before we jumped on about all the chaos with the coaching carousel, Lincoln Riley to Southern Cal, Brian Kelly to LSU, Marcus Freeman will now be the promoted candidate internally at Notre Dame and coach the Fighting Irish for a bowl game or potentially a college football playoff berth. Just, I can't think, Bill, of a crazier college football coaching carousel. And even with a couple of the guys that stay put at their respective schools, they cashed in nonetheless. James Franklin at Penn State, Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Uh, It is a reminder. I mean, we talk often about the landscape of college athletics. And when we did our college basketball openings uh, preview pod, we talked about the transfer portal. And then you realize that, well, this is why we're at where we are with the transfer portal for the student athletes, because you got coaches leaving their teams before they potentially make the college football playoff. Yeah, it's the Kelly one just kind of blew me away. Like you said, it, the timing of it, uh, the, the way it went down, the way that, you know, now you know with social media, the way it is, um, we're getting out prior to him even able to tell his his players was pretty crazy. And then I was telling you, I listened, somebody snuck in a, their cell phone, I guess, and recorded uh, Kelly's conference yeah. with the team and stuff. And uh, and honestly, like people are up in arms about that. And to an extent, I, I get that, but I bet you there were some players that were just like 7am and just to hear that the guy's leaving, I'm not even going to go. Yeah, exactly. After the news already broke, they're probably thinking like, what, what is he going to say to us? That's going to be, worth getting up you know for a college student you're like shit man, i want to sleep i don't want to have to get up for anything and now i got up enough to... early during the season when i was right. busting my ass for this guy now he wants right. me to get up for him to tell yeah. me he's leaving yeah to, to float me a bunch of bullshit because that's kind of what it came across as at least to me when i listened to it um you know i put myself in the shoes of the of the players and you know look at he he can do what he wants um any coach can uh, you know, and I'm all for guys going out there and getting as much money as they can because, you know, tomorrow's not promised today. So who knows if they're able to get that kind of bag in the future. But at the same time, man, like you're you are potentially one game away from playing for the national championship. That's what kind of shocks me. Um, the fact that the fact that he went to go speak to LSU at all right there tells you everything you need to know about him, right? Like, even if he didn't take it, you know, to say they just weren't going to offer him the same amount of money or whatever it might be, yeah, and I he mean, decided to back out. Though, Bill, like, I hear what you're saying, but this is also an NCAA problem because when you have that early signing period, any coach that's going to change jobs has to do it now or his recruiting class is going to go to shit. At his new job, because everybody's going to sign somewhere else. Like these kids wouldn't know what to do. Like the early signing period is what's really causing all of this to happen. Right. I get it. But at the same time, it's just the fact that he's about to potentially, again, they're on the outside looking in, but they have a path to get to the national championship game this year. And he's not going to be there. So 
I know what you're saying about the recruiting class, but if I'm an LSU recruit, how am I supposed to trust this guy? Right? Like, who who knows what the situation is going to be in two, three years, whatever it might be, if we're about to go play for a national championship game and, you know, another school comes along and offers them $150 million for the next couple of years. Like, you don't know I, I, what's going to happen. That, so I, Again, I don't. Again, I, I don't want to sound like a Brian Kelly apologist here. I think you do. it was a little scummy the way it all unfolded this week. But I just think some of that is just systemic with the NCAA right now. Like I, I and Brian Kelly just happens to be the latest perpetrator. Yeah, again, I just I, I just think it's crazy the way how close they are to the title game. Whereas if it was anybody else outside of the top five, six schools, I, I mean I, I I totally understand it, but I mean their focus all year, his focus all year as the head coach of that team is to try and win a national championship. And you're right there and you're just going to walk away. I, I just, it's shocking to me. Um, and I can only imagine what it's like for the people in South Bend. that are all those diehard uh, Notre Dame fans. And of course, you know, all the Catholic Irish uh, <laughs> across the country that are adopted Notre Dame. Your heart goes out to them, right? Yeah, I know. My heart truly, truly Do do you buy the narrative that some people threw out there that he maxed out at Notre Dame and that, you know, with the academic standards and not being in a conference or whatever it may be, you could always kind of get in the playoff. But we clearly saw in his two trips to the playoff, I believe it was, and then the one national championship BCS game he got just totally outclassed. Do you think that he could have – like, I guess that's the other thing I'd say is like, oh, yeah, you're on the precipice of a national championship potentially. And you're, you're right. Like, if you make the playoff, you are still one of four teams left. But as we saw in the past with Notre Dame, it was always kind of an in-name only thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Like, I don't think any team that he has had or that he might have in the future would have been able to compete with the teams that he faced in the playoff when he was in there. And that might be, again, part of the allure of going to LSU. He's going to be able to get those recruits, going to be able to get those teams together. And he's going to be tested throughout the season so that when it comes time to it, he's going to know where he stands. He's going to know where his team stands. Whereas at Notre Dame, you know, a lot of their good records were kind of fluffed up because they weren't playing anybody in a conference, you know, and, they get to the national championship or they get to the playoff and they get absolutely annihilated by sometimes a one loss team who, you know, is a touchdown favorite against them and they blow them out by 20 plus, whatever it may be. It's, I could see that being a a draw for him with going to LSU. But again, I just, to me, the timing of it's just wild. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, I, I just, I'll ask you this then, where are we headed? Is the timing of this this kind of stuff ever going to change? I don't I don't know how it does, right? Like I I don't know how I, I don't know how it changed unless they unless they change the way that recruiting is done, which I can't imagine it there being a different way. Um, I think you're kind of stuck in the same scenario. And at the same time, it's like some of these kids are the ones that are really getting screwed over the most because. Like we've talked about it with basketball and it's it's got to be the same at some level with football where you get recruited by a guy to come out and you go to the program and all of a sudden that guy's gone. The coach is gone and the new coach comes in and they run a different style and they don't want any parts of you because you're not their guy. So then what are you stuck with? That's why we got, you know, the transfer portal and these kids jumping all over the place. It's 
it's it's it's troublesome to say the least. It's crazy to see these people popping all over the place. It's now I guess part of it's my old school and me loyalty, uh, liking to see guys stay at the school for four years and not popping. Yeah, I, I mean honestly, at this point, year. like I just feel like as much as it sucks, like that element of college athletics is kind of down the drain. I mean, yeah. you know, whether it's transferring or leaving early to go pro or, you know, it just, you know, the, and obviously now with these coaches moving around, I mean, besides really besides Nick Saban, given what we saw this week, is there any coach in the country who, if you heard, Oh, he's leaving his current school, like you'd be surprised, like maybe Dabo or like, you know, Kirby. Harbaugh, Spark, obviously. I'm sorry. Jim Harbaugh now. I mean, uh, well, right. Okay. Country, yeah. So. I, I thought Harbaugh, but given <laughs> the way joking. everything unfolded in San Francisco and the NFL, you don't, you in the power struggle that happened with Trent Baalke, you don't think Harbaugh would want to try the NFL again? Oh, uh, no, I'm joking. I'm completely joking about okay. that. All right. No, there's, but there's you hear what I'm saying? Point. Like, I feel like Saban's the only guy where if he's not yeah. coaching Alabama, it would feel weird now, given what we just saw. Yeah. I think the only thing that you would see with Saban, like, I don't see Saban going anywhere. I would see him retiring. Retire as the Alabama head coach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the only way I see him going out. And yeah, you're right. For the rest of the country, like there's no, there's no coach out there that I would think the same thing about. There's no way, nobody. Yeah. So last thing on this, what'd you make of the the other kind of narrative that was out there? Was Lincoln Riley was a little afraid of the SEC leaving Oklahoma before the Sooners join and passing up LSU? Any any truth to that, or is he just taking the easiest path to the playoff, which you know appears to be? the Pac-12, and obviously was a path that got him to the playoff in the Big 12, the lesser of the Power 5 leagues. Yeah, I think I think I want to say yes and no. Like, I don't want to just sit there and badmouth the guy and say, like, yeah, he's terrified of the SEC. I, I would I would be more apt to say his style of play, right? Like, his he's an offensive scheming guy. He likes to put up the points. He's very built for the Pac-12, right, like what they do. To come into the SEC and all of a sudden you want to throw the ball around and you want to try and score, you know, 40 some points a game. Like it just doesn't really translate that well into the SEC. They're, they're a little more defense first. So, yeah, maybe scared is is not the word to use. Um, but I think he was afraid that just from a recruiting standpoint, right? Like, how are you going to get those guys that you want to come to your school when they're like, well, you know, we can't play this way here, you know, because of the teams we're playing against where I think, you know, as crazy as it may sound, like I think it's going to end up being kind of a perfect fit for him and his his offensive mind out there in, in USC. And if he's able to get some of the recruits that they've gotten in the past, um, he, he could you know, build something special out there. Because let's be real, like the Pac-12 right now, I mean, Oregon was the Pac-12 leader throughout most of the year, and they were frauds, right? Like they've, right. they've been. Right. Yeah. Oh no, it's definitely an open league. Yeah. 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 So you got to figure like him going out there, and he's he's already bringing in what the the number one quarterback, the five star quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, he's already got a, a a step above everybody else. I feel like in that respect. So I think in, at the end of the day, it's going to end up being a smart move for him. Um, but at the same time, it's. It's crazy. It, it it's, is it's surprising though. It, on some on some level, I thought he'd only leave if he wanted to try the NFL. Like I felt like he had, and also remember he was under Bob Stoops. Like I thought the whole mm-hmm. idea was they were grooming him to 
be there for a while. And obviously he still was there for, I think, five years as the head coach. So it's not like that's a small amount of time. Uh, And I think got to two college football playoffs, you know, and the one game against Georgia was crazy. I mean, he was Mm -hmm. very close to getting to a national championship there. Um, But it did feel like for a while that you weren't hearing his name come up with a lot of college jobs. And it was mostly NFL or staying at Oklahoma. Now, I suppose we haven't had these kinds of massive job openings like LSU and USC. They don't come open all the time. So I don't know. It felt like he would stay at Oklahoma longer. But again, you're right. It it seems like a good fit. If you can keep the LA kids home, could be the closest thing to the Pete Carroll Trojan war days of Reggie Bush and Matt Liner since then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And look, if any time for him to go, like it kind of makes sense. Oddly enough, like, with the struggles they had with their two quarterbacks and all that stuff going on. And then what would that have been like next year? Right. You, you throw this five-star recruit into the mix and Rattler. Now, obviously you see he's entering the transfer portal, but like where would that have left Oklahoma next year? So I think, again, I think it's going to be working out for him really well. Right. Um, and who knows, it might work out for Brian Kelly too, but only time will Still, tell. Yeah, exactly. Still a shocking shift in the college football landscape. We will, we were talking USC. So let's stay in the PAC 12 for our first game of championship weekend. And as I said, you get that little appetizer. Matter of fact, there's actually a pair of national, or excuse me, conference championship games on uh, Friday night, as we have Western Kentucky and uh, the university of Texas, San Antonio playing in, I can't remember what conference that is off the top, top of your head, Bill, do you know? Who's that? The, uh, Utah. That is the uh, Conference USA title yes. game between we Western Kentucky and UTSA, but uh, no play for either one of us in that one. So let's go to the Pac-12 title game, and we're going to start hot and heavy with a consensus play on those Utah Utes. You know, Bill, that that's kind of what we hint at when we talk about Pac-12, right? Everybody just, with the Lincoln-Riley stuff, it was like, oh, well, he's just got to go through Oregon. And I feel like Utah just continually gets a little – disrespected in the national conversation. I'm not saying the Utes are on the level of some of the teams that are competing for college football playoff bursts this weekend, but Kyle Whittingham has run a pretty nice little program there. This is his third trip to the PAC 12 championship. Oh, and two in the previous two. So a chance to get over the hump. And there's something kind of business-like about the way they do things where again, amidst all the chaos, like Utah was just kind of climbing up the, standings in the Pac-12 and this week you haven't heard anything about Utah which is probably a good thing and um, I kind of feel like this is an opportunity for Utah like again like everybody's saying well USC Oregon well Utah wins this game they're the Pac-12 champs and so I I think that the Utes in some regard are being a little disrespected in terms of the national narratives and the talking points that come with the Pac-12 Uh, And I still think this is a revenge game for Utah, even though Utah was the team that ended Oregon's chance at the college football playoff a couple of weeks ago. That's because the last time these two teams squared off in the Pac-12 championship, Oregon really took it to Utah. So I think for the Utes, there's value in that conference supremacy element, which for Oregon, I mean, they've already been there, done that. And obviously the Ducks had their sights set higher than just winning the conference. So I think this game means a lot more for the Utah program. We're also seeing 
I mean, clearly it was a much bigger discrepancy a couple weeks ago in Salt Lake City when I think Utah was like number 23 and was favored over number three Oregon, but still number 17 Utah ranked, you know, uh, ranked in the, eight, I believe, the college football playoff rankings, favored over number 10 Oregon on a neutral field. Kind of makes me like the Utes as well. And then you wonder, is this just a bad matchup for Oregon? The Utes shredded them for 200, over 200 rushing yards in that game in Salt Lake City. And here's another stat I really liked from that game. Utah went 11 for 14 on third down. And I think what that signifies is that the Utes were running the ball so well, they're getting themselves into manageable third downs and moving the sticks from there. Another point about Utah that I like with regard to where the way the Utes are trending uh, speaking of transfers, they started the year with a transfer at quarterback, Charlie Brewer, quarterback transferred from Baylor, and they made the quarterback switch in September to go with Cameron Rising. And Rising has only thrown three picks all year, and two of them were in the same game. So he's playing mistake-free football for the most part, protecting the ball, valuing the possession. Uh, and again, are they, you know, is Oregon fired up to be playing for a conference championship game, or has the offseason already started? I think the latter for the Ducks, and I think the former for Utah. Utes ascending, Ducks descending. Oregon also only 5-7 and seven this year against the spread, so not performing well to market expectations. I love Utah. Laying the short number, I got it at minus 2.5. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you. You stole some of my thunder there with, with most of your talking points, which obviously I expect more on the same side of the game. Um, yeah, I really, I really do think that Utah just has Oregon's number. I think it's a matchup problem for them. You mentioned how they were able to control the ball last game, um, on the ground. If they, if Oregon decides, okay, well, we, we need to be stopping the runner early and force them to throw the ball. Utah is not a bad passing offense at all, right? Like, I mean, they, they don't blow up the numbers, so to speak, but the biggest point for them is what you mentioned um, with turnovers. Like they don't, they don't turn the ball over in the last game against Oregon. They won what 38 to seven and neither team turned the ball over. Right. So you got to figure that if somebody's turning the ball over, it might change the score a little bit in that game, but I just don't see Oregon having the horses to run here with Utah. And you mentioned it like Utah kind of has a chip on their shoulder when it comes to this Oregon team, specifically when it's coming to the PAC 12 championship game. Um, and Utah hasn't been great against the spread either, though. Let's let's be real. They're both five and seven against the spread. Um, yeah, I, I just brought as, that up more on Oregon because I feel like Oregon was the team that had the expectations all year. No, that's definitely fair. Um, and again, I don't I don't know how much the numbers really are going to come into play with it being a field goal um, in this one. So I mean, I, I highly doubt that Utah wins the game but doesn't cover. So the fact that I like them to win the game, I'm, I'm obviously going to be backing them to cover the spread as well. Um, and I'm seeing it at three right now. I'm curious to see if it ticks up past three in the uh, next oh, wow. couple of days before we get there. I'm feeling good about getting two and a half then. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we shall see. But again, yeah, I'm I'm back in the Utes with you um, to take down the Ducks here in the Pac-12 championship game. I want to go to the first big game of the day on Saturday, and that takes place at Jerry World at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, where it's the Baylor Bears and the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma State laying five, five and a half total of has been bet down to the mid 40s. Looks like 46 and a half. But uh, we're giving out all sides here. And I like the pokes laying the number. I'll be honest. I do think from a value standpoint, there's probably like the, the sharps and the um, kind of the power ratings. People might like Baylor here because uh, I have seen people suggest that this number is a shade high. 
But I I just think Oklahoma State's better. And not only that, but the Pokes need margin here, sitting on the outside, looking in. And um, before we jumped on here, we mentioned I just switched jobs and uh, took a new job with the National Radio Network here in Houston. And uh, one of the guests that I recently spoke with said uh, he was a gambling guy. And uh, it was a bookmaker, actually, and said that I asked him, like, dude, does this stuff get baked into numbers with the teams that need margin in the college football playoff rankings? And he said, no, not really. And he wouldn't be surprised if it started to eventually. So I think that, honestly, even though you look at the stats and maybe it says Oklahoma State should only be four, four and a half point favorite on a neutral field. I I think here there's uh, and, and maybe this element is actually maybe baked in a little bit at five and a half. Uh, but I, I think Oklahoma State really needs the margin. Uh, and also, you know, Oklahoma State didn't only just beat Baylor the first time uh, by double digits, but outgained Baylor 401 to 280, rushed for 219 yards. And they did all that despite committing three turnovers to Baylor zero. So it was a 10 point win for Oklahoma State that really could have been like 17 or 20 or 24, a much larger spread between the two teams and these two teams have been so good defensively in the big 12 we don't really talk about defense in the big 12 that often it really comes down to which offense do i trust more and it's definitely the pokes when you look at the fact that they could win that higher scoring game last week like they did in bedlam against the sooners so i think the program for Oklahoma State, this is a the program that's kind of been a little bit slept on most of the year. And here they are at a very quiet number five in the country. Then you look at Baylor, five and two in games decided by 10 points or less. I think some of that is bound to regress. And in this spot, I know the number is five and a half. But if you're telling me that the game was going to be decided by a touchdown, I'm much more likely to think that it's Oklahoma State that comes out on the winning end of that only because I do think there's an element of happy to be here for Baylor. It's the second season for Dave Aranda after going two and seven last year in the COVID shortened season. By the way, one of those five wins by 10 points or less was a season opener against lowly Texas state for Baylor. So obviously a lot's changed since the season opener, but Texas state, not a very good team. So the fact that you had a close game with them, not a great indicator. Again, I don't like to pull from season openers, but I, I think Gundy and Oklahoma state, Fired up to try and make a statement and get to the playoff, whereas Baylor, I just don't know that I feel that same way. They, they can't go to the playoff. They'll probably get plenty more cracks at the Big 12 title under Aranda. I think he's a pretty good coach coming from Ed Orgeron and the staff that won the national championship. So at LSU, I, I just feel like this is two teams, programs that kind of opposite, not necessarily opposites, but I think Oklahoma State more ready to make the leap to the playoff. And we obviously don't know if Oklahoma State will make it or not. Uh, But then Baylor, who I feel like this is just a nice year for the program. They're getting back pretty quickly after Matt Rule left. And and this kind of game means a lot more to Oklahoma State. So it's not my biggest, my strongest lean, but I did like it enough to play it. Which way do you lean in the Big 12 game? Yeah, I'm not going to have a play. Um, I don't know. I just feel, I feel like if I had a, had to make a lean either way here. I think I'd actually lean a little bit towards Baylor um, just because I feel like that number is a little too high um, in terms of what this game uh, could potentially play out to be. You mentioned it earlier, right? Like you said, their last meeting, Baylor turns it over three times in that game. 
Oklahoma State did. Oklahoma State turned it over three times. I'll double check. I thought when I was doing my research today, it was Oklahoma State committing the three turnovers and still winning the game. Yeah, because I, I think it might be, if it's the opposite, uh, that intrigues me more with it only being a 10 point, 10 point victory. Um, and I always kind of tend to lean the other way when a team's playing a team for a second time in the season, especially like he's mentioned, they won by 10. Um, and now they, they dropped that spread down to four and a half. I saw some shops at six and a half um, as an opening number. I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate or not, uh, but if that's dropping down too, that, that kind of throws a red flag to me as well. And, of course, I think I'm probably still a little bit bitter due to the fact they were unable to cover for me last weekend. But um, it'll be no play for me. And the fact that you're on the other side, I will ship best of luck with the pokes, and hopefully they can get the job done and – who knows what will happen in the other games, and they might make their way into the playoff with a victory here in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, it was Oklahoma State with the three turnovers in that game. I, I was right. My eyes did not deceive me earlier today. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, that, that's also why I thought, like, oh, well, they outgained mm-hmm. them by a ton, rushed for 200-plus yards, and turned it over three times in the process. Like, had they not turned it over three times, they might have won the game by 17 or 24. So, Right. We shall see at Jerry World on Saturday. Okay. Let's move forward. And, Bill, you got to play in the Mountain West game. I'll be honest, this wasn't one that caught my eye as much. So um, I'm wondering what the angle is here on Utah State. We, you like Utah? You're staying uh, in the state with uh, Utah State, the Aggies. Uh, I don't know even where this game is being played. Is the Mountain West game on a campus site or neutral site? But nonetheless, they are catching, it looks like, six against San Diego State. Yeah, it is on a campus site. So San Diego State will be uh, hosting the Mountain West championship game. And I can't believe that your eye wasn't caught by this game because it's probably going to end up being the best game uh, played on the weekend. I have no idea. But um, I just mentioned to you before, right? Like I said, I kind of lean – to the team that had taken uh, the loss earlier in the season. Now, these guys haven't played uh, this year, but Utah State has never really – I think they've been in it one time since 2013 um, in this position, and they've never won the conference. So they're going to have a kind of a chip on their shoulder to start. Um, I think San Diego State has a lot of question marks. They got uh, me being a Michigan guy. They got the former Michigan coach, Brady Hoke, who was at San Diego State prior to going to Michigan, came back, um, and he's done an amazing job with this team. I think they were – I don't think they had one win or they were – I think they were maybe 500 last year. Um, but to take them from that to getting to 11-1 and one this season uh, is pretty impressive. But at the end of their previous game, uh, their quarterback uh, went down, Luke Lucas Johnson – who had been starting in place of Jordan uh, Brookshire week three on um, to an ankle injury. But at the same time, they may have been, that may have been a blessing really, because like they weren't able to move the ball. They were playing Boise. They were down 16 to three in the middle of the second quarter. Um, Things were looking bleak for them. Um, All of a sudden Johnson's hurt. Brookshire steps in and all of a sudden the offense starts clicking and Hoke's kind of been mum on who he's going to be playing uh, in this game. And, you know, some people might argue, okay, well, you know, it's forcing Utah state to prepare for two different quarterbacks fair. Um, but at the same time, the fact that he's not making his decision and these guys have both played in the games before 
it kind of would make me nervous if I was going to take the Aztecs here. I feel like the Aggies have a lot more to play for. Um, I think they're going to come into this game motivated. They're catching six right now. And this is a game where I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to win it outright and take the uh, the Mountain West title. I'm not going to be playing the money line at all. Um, but I do like them to, at the very least, cover the spread in this one. Um, I, I would assume that Brookshire is probably going to be the guy they're going to go with with San Diego State. But like I said before, I just – I wouldn't feel comfortable backing those guys. Utah State, too, has played pretty well on the road. They're 5-1 against the spread their last six on the road. Um, and San Diego State in this spot uh, has has kind of struggled. They're 1-4 uh, in their last five games this year. They're 2-5 and five as favorites this season. So being the favorites don't necessarily translate to covers for this Aztecs team. Uh, so I will be playing the Aggies plus the six. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a decently convincing handicap. And honestly, yeah, like the whole quarterback thing, too, like um, just mm-hmm. makes you feel queasy if you're taking San Diego State at almost a touchdown with not knowing what's going to happen at the most important position. Like yeah. definitely, definitely is a little weird. So uh, then again, no play for me in this one, but wishing you nothing but the best in the Mountain West game. Let's go to the Sunbelt game where. We have a little bit of a crossfire here on App State and Lafayette. Uh, you're going to play App State. I'm on the Raging Cajuns, not just because they're called the Raging Cajuns, but that's <laughs> enough of a reason, I think, in my opinion. But nonetheless, go ahead. You fire away first on App State. Mine's simple. What was the final score of their game when they met earlier this year? Couldn't tell you. 41-13 to 13 in favor of your... Raising Cajuns, I believe. Okay. And now App State's favored. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, give me the favorite. Uh, th- th- that doesn't make any sense to me. To get yeah, blown so out that bad. Too, and it's more that Billy Napier, the head coach for Louisiana Lafayette, who took the job with Florida, slammed, you know, banged the drum, apparently, to finish this game at Lafayette. And so... He won't coach the bowl game, but obviously for these group of five schools, I can tell you, having been at Temple when Matt Rule was there, I mean, it's a big deal to win the conference because it's not going to really get any bigger. And sure enough, before he took the Baylor job, Matt Rule finished up. And now, of course, at the time, Temple didn't know he was leaving. It was announced about 72 hours later that he had accepted the job at Baylor. But it was a big win for the university to win that game against Navy and win the American Athletic Conference Championship in 2016. And that's kind of what I'm getting right now out of Louisiana Lafayette. Like, App State, they've won the conference before under a couple different coaches. And uh, I kind of feel like Billy Napier staying, you know, and normally if they were a big favorite here, I'd think, oh, you know, like disjointed week of practice. Like, do they get the margin? Like, they're a dog. So that makes me think, that all I needed them to do was win the game, and I got that key number of three in my back pocket, too. I think the uh, Raging Cajuns are a great buy here, and then they'll be a great fade in the title in the bowl game if they win, because I love this kind of situational stuff around bowl season because it's so motivationally driven. I mean, some of the stuff you really can't quantify into a number, and I think in the case of Louisiana, they're all in on this game, and then Napier leaves after this game, and they'd be a good fate. If they win the game, especially, they'll be a great fate in their bowl game. So just something to keep an eye on in the future. 
Uh, maybe even something you'd look at on an opening line because the bowl lines are going to be out probably on Sunday. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if Louisiana wins this game, I would consider like an auto fade right when the line comes out because I just feel like the only way the line will move uh, is the direction against the Louisiana side, whoever the Raging Cajuns get matched up with. You you with me on some of that bowl handicapping stuff, Bill? I, I kind of enjoy kind of digging into the motivational tactics of bowl season because it really can be very different depending on the program. No, yeah, it definitely is. The bowl games to me are, I mean, it's a whole different story for another time, but um, so many things I feel like change. From the NFL prospects that sit out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's very, it may, to me at least, very personally, fluid. it makes it difficult to handicap. But, again, I'll say it again. This game's being played at Louisiana Lafayette, correct? I believe neutral, so, yeah. Not a neutral site. And App State's favorite. I get it. And, I, hey, and App State was App State was playing out there, you know, earlier this year and got smoked 41-13, to 13, so – I don't understand why they're going to – and they were actually really dogs. No, they were – yeah. They Almost were the same sort line, of favorite four and a half than what they are now. There. Yeah, I don't I – can't, I can't imagine why the line would be close to the same thing after they got smoked like that. So it just doesn't make sense to me. That's why I'm playing that side. I'll keep it real simple. So we've gone the whole pod as we were 35 minutes in. By the way, we do want to remind everybody that we are recording on a Wednesday night. We're dropping this on a Friday. So – about a 36-hour period in between our recording and when you listen. but So numbers may be moving a little bit between now and then, but we've gone the whole 35 minutes so far without touching on the Alabama Crimson Tide in a must-win game against the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC title game in order to secure their spot in the college football playoff. Alabama will be out with a loss. I don't think we really need to sweat that. Two lost Alabama you know, we cannot, we just, in a 14 playoff, you can't have a two loss team make it. It's just that simple. I don't care what league you're playing. And Bryce Young probably won the Heisman on Saturday with that comeback against Auburn. It was a pretty bad Heisman race this year, but it was either him or CJ Stroud, it felt like. And we obviously saw what happened to the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor. So, what happened to the Buckeyes in Ann Arbor? We'll get there. <laughs> Michigan man, <laughs> we'll get there in a minute. But no, Bill, it's interesting. Like, so I think I heard a stat. It was like close to a hundred games in a row that Alabama had been favored in. And wow. now obviously they're close to a touchdown dog on a neutral field. Um, so are you just kind of playing the number of getting this many points with the Crimson Tide? I mean, this might not happen again for another 10 years. Like, <laughs> you know, what are you looking at here as to why you like the Tide, maybe a little more desperation, everybody kind of thinking they're going to lose. Like, what gets you to the Bama side? Yeah, you're you're hitting pretty much all the points there. I, I believe that the, the spread opened at 6-2, correct? I don't recall uh, seeing anything much lower. Yeah, I, no, I'm not, I don't know. I, I thought I saw some five, five-and-a-half action, but, okay. Okay. yeah. Um. But I thought when the number came out, I thought it was going to be a little bit higher, to be honest. I know it's Alabama, but the way that Georgia has played this year, um, you know, they look like a, a runaway train. Like nobody's going to be able to stop these guys. But the fact the line really hasn't moved much, the public is heavy on Georgia. I feel like the narrative um, has become, you know, Alabama is not Alabama anymore. This is Georgia kind of 
taking the making torch a run from at that Alabama. LSU team from a couple of years ago too, and trying to pull right. off like an all-time season. Right, and I don't know if you're telling me that I want to get Nick Saban coaching Alabama and I'm catching points in arguably the the biggest game for them this season. I I, I have to take, I have to go with the tide there. Um, you know, would I be shocked if Georgia came out and, and handled business? No. Um, but like I said, or like you said, really, the uh, the value there of getting Bama with the points. And and look, it's a different spot than Bama has been in previous years, right? Like this is a Bama team that's coming in as a dog. I mean, they never had that issue before. But like it's if, if they need any other kind of motivation, they just gave it to them, you know, by being a dog in the spot. Um, and having the the chance of winning this game and putting their name back into the the college football playoff, because like you said, if they lose, they're out. We're we're not sweating that uh, one bit. They there will not be a two loss Alabama team in the playoff. Um, but if they win this game, it changed a lot. So I'm going to be taking the points. I'm going to be taking Bama um, again. Same kind of thing. Like I said, with Utah State, it wouldn't shock me if they were to win this one outright. Um, but to have those points in my back pocket, I'm going to take them. Yeah, I mean, I would have the slightest of leans to Alabama for a lot of the points we're making about how, you know, it's Nick Saban getting a touchdown, like, at Alabama. Like, again, might not happen the rest of his career. And, you know, it, 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 everybody kind of seemingly is has written Alabama off at various right. points of the year, given their – lackluster performances against LSU and obviously lost the game to A&M. And Greg, let me ask you real against, quick. Yeah. If, if we were able to get in the room where the odds makers are and they were putting together a number uh, in the fourth quarter of that Auburn-Alabama game, what do you think they're putting that number out at that point? When when Alabama was down by 10 It was points, a live line, yeah. You're like, saying before like, the 97-yard drive? Yeah, like what – you would have to figure – if they lost to Auburn, that that number was going to be so much higher than six. It, it would be argued that it could possibly have gone to a double digits, I would think, because you think they're dead. Now they would have had a second loss. They have no chance of making the playoff. So it probably would have been double digits. Yeah, that's again, that's what I'm thinking. But, I mean, the fact they came back from the dead there and still people are writing them off. I mean, that's all I hear is is how George's going to kill him. I can't tell you how many people reached out to me and said, Am I really getting Georgia at less than a touchdown against Alabama? Right, <laughs> I'm right. thinking, yeah, what? I get that. <laughs> what? I, and and listen, like I understand, like again, I would have the slightest of leans to Alabama, but I just at the same time, I feel like we've seen it enough where like I I just don't like how good is Alabama? Like I I I worry that this is just not one of Saban's better teams, and I do think if like I, maybe I would sooner play Alabama first half because I I think if the tide get down then those Georgia D linemen just pin their ears back and feast. And I, I don't know that Alabama's coming back the way it did last week against Auburn. So, uh, you know, I, I would, I'm going to pass this game uh, because it does scare me a little bit to play Georgia with all the expectations and none of the expectations on Alabama. So I get that angle. I'll stay away um, and wish you good luck there on the tide. Obviously be watching. This is the marquee game of the week for sure, in college football. I want to go to the American Athletic Conference title game in Cincinnati, uh, where uh, we have a couple big numbers here to wrap things up, and I'm going to take the 10.5 with the Houston Cougars against the Bearcats uh, of Cincinnati. Listen, 
the American gets maybe too much shit sometimes for being a bad league or, or, or you know, Cincinnati playing these bad teams. I mean, as I said, I, I went to Temple, like the conference routinely gets raided every year around this time with coaches, whether, and we just saw Sonny Dykes at SMU take the TCU job. Uh, you know, Tom Herman, former coach at Houston, got the Texas job from the American. Justin Fuente just got let go at Virginia Tech. He coached at Memphis. Mike Norvell coached at Memphis. So, I mean, there's there's good coaches all over this league. And Dana Holgerson, obviously, is a guy at UH now that had coached in the Power Five with West Virginia and the Big 12. And I think that Houston, like, they're a, an underrated program, clearly, on the basketball side. They're not underrated at all. I mean, everybody is going to have their eyes on the Cougs after getting to the Final Four last year. But here they are in the top 25, and, I, you know, 11 straight wins for the Cougars after losing their opener against Texas Tech. Everything has been building for Houston to this face-off with Cincinnati in the conference championship game. And especially later on in the year, they didn't have a slip-up at all. So I like the way the Houston team and Clayton Toon, the quarterback, I like the way they're trending. And then I look at Cincinnati, and we talked about this, Bill, earlier in the season, how we thought the Bearcats, and I lost last week with East Carolina and the points, that blocked field goal really did me in on, on the return for Cincinnati. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see that? They, no. It was a 15-point game with, like, 10 minutes left, and it was fourth and goal from, like, the 20 or whatever, so they weren't going to kick a field goal, or they weren't going to go for it. ECU comes out to kick the field goal. It gets blocked in return for a touchdown, and all of a sudden, and the spread was 14 and a half. Oh my god! And so, 15 point deficit for East Carolina turned into 22, and that <laughs> basically did me in on the uh, catching the 14 and the hook. But no, we talked about how Cincinnati might be a better fade later in the season because now it's all in front of the Bearcats. Like all they need to do is win this game against Houston, and they are in. Could they be a little tight? And now Luke Fickle who we thought maybe was, you know, he's a Midwestern guy. Could he get the Notre Dame job? Nope. Notre Dame goes with Marcus Freeman. So it just feels like everything is lining up for the Bearcats. And I'll be honest, I do think they might be a little tight. I think they might be a little nervous. That's what I want to fade here. I, I mean, they were having trouble in late October, early November, covering games against Tulsa, against Navy, against South Florida. Like, what's going to happen now against Houston at still double digits? I like the Cougs catching 10 in the hook. Yeah, I don't have a play here. Um, I feel like it's kind of a trendy play that people are jumping on Houston and the points. Um, but uh, why Why wouldn't you, right? Like, for all the reasons you were saying, like, all the pressure here is on Cincinnati. They can't afford to slip up. Um, they can see the playoffs right in front of their faces. And Houston, you mentioned Dane Hokerson, right? Like, he loves to air it out. and He's a free-flowing offensive type of guy, so – they might be pulling out all the stops here, just having fun and, and playing, playing loose. And, you know, that 10 points could, could loom big in this one. So makes sense going with Cincinnati. I'm just staying off of it. Let's go to the big 10 title game to wrap things up. And we will have a consensus play here between Iowa and Michigan. But before we get there, Bill, were you on the field? I mean, a hundred thousand people, were you, were you there with all the blue and the maize and blue with, the biggest win in the Harbaugh era. I mean, that was that was something last week. Dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, the O-line and D-line for Michigan. That's a thing, right? For as much as – and I think that game really was an indicator. For as much as you want to talk about, you know, the flashiness of 
elite wide receivers and how, you know, in the NFL, people love to watch Mahomes to Tyree kill for 80 yards. Well, Ohio State's got the three stud receivers, but none of that mattered when Aiden Hutchinson was just in Stroud's grill all day. And then you look on the other side of the ball, the Michigan offensive line just ate all day in the trenches and there were just gaping holes for those backs to run through. That was just a trench clinic from the Wolverines. Yeah, hey, look, and I, I stayed it last year after they gave Harbaugh the extension, right? Like, I, I don't agree with it. He freaked out? It was. I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, and even going into this game, I had a couple of buddies texting me, like, you know, what do you think of today? And you excited, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, not really. Um, and we talked about it in the pod. Like, I – I would have leaned Ohio State in that game. Um, but after the first drive of that game, the first drive by Michigan. They went down and scored, yeah. I texted my buddy, and I was like, yo, I am all in now. Like, like <laughs> this – like, because honestly, like, that that to me just set the tone for how that game was going to go. Um, and y- you said it. Like, the, the, the D-line and the offensive line were just absolute animals out there. And it brought back old school Michigan, the way that they played under Lloyd Carr for so right. many years. Yeah. And Bo Schembechler just punch you in the mouth, wear you down. And they almost got in trouble at one point early on in the first quarter. They, 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 I, think, I think Ohio State may have turned the ball over. Either way, Michigan was driving, and, uh, and McNamara tried to throw in that tight window in the end zone, he got picked off. And I'm like, why are they throwing the football? They're having so much success running it. And then I kept saying in the second half, like, I, the only way I wanted to see them throw the ball was if they ran a play action with a tight end in the flat, wide open, who was going to be able to catch the ball and just go 20 yards if he crawled there. Um, and it, you know, it didn't play out exactly that way, but they stayed committed to the run, five touchdowns on the ground. I mean, they looked unbelievable it was again as a lifelong Michigan fan it was nice to see um I think I would have reveled in it a little bit more had it been a different head coach or if it was Harbaugh say three years ago maybe um because I felt like that's when it was was going to happen when they brought him on board but either way it's it it was great to see uh that state down in Ohio uh that team down in Ohio take an L uh for the first time and I guess it was going to be nine years if they had lost uh, to the Buckeyes this year. So it was nice yeah. to see them get the victory. And then, you know, who knows? But, um, yeah, we're going to be consensus here. And I think you're probably going to be saying the same thing as me. I mean, you 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 couldn't pick a bigger letdown spot oh, for the yeah. team than how I just built up that win and how much it meant to that program um, this past week. So I feel like there's got to be some letdown here. Um, and there's no need for style points, right? You win, not, you're in if you're Michigan. No. Exactly. And, and, and well, they get the job done by running the ball and controlling the clock. So even if they are to, to win this game, um, quote unquote, comfortably, they can still do that with inside the 10 point window and just really control the ball and, and not let not let Iowa get too crazy offensively. Um, but I, I have to take the points in this left down spot. Yeah, I mean, you hit a, hit the nail on the head. I mean, the biggest win in the Harbaugh era by far, uh, you know, all those kids, I mean, you know, probably on the top of their world this whole week in Ann Arbor, how do they get back up and play their best in the conference championship game? I question that. 
Uh, and you know what? Like, I also think if you do look at the way Iowa plays, like Iowa, if you look at the styles that we saw last week between Ohio State and Michigan, Iowa is a lot more like Michigan in that regard because you never think of big play playmakers. There's no Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson on on Iowa. You know, they're going to try and beat you in the mouth and grind you down, too. And and so if you're the Hawkeyes, I think the whole thing here should be to play a slower game, grind it out and try and be like 14, 14 after three quarters and take your chances in the fourth. So I think you might want to like under two if you like Iowa from that standpoint, uh, because Iowa, like the Ohio State defense, which is a complete turnstile last week in Ann Arbor, Iowa was sixth in the nation this year in yards per play allowed. So I really like the fact that I'm getting a much better defense going up against Michigan. And you know what? Kay McNamara didn't have to do that much last week. Let's see him have to make a few more throws. And last point on Iowa, people forget, like this was a team that was number two in the AP poll in the middle of October. And the Hawkeyes had a real bad game, just laid an egg at home against Purdue, didn't deal with the expectations well. And they lost at Wisconsin and it ended up being Iowa and Wisconsin for the Big Ten West side anyway. So I don't look at that as a terrible loss. And after that Wisconsin loss, they righted the ship in November and won out and got some help from Minnesota last week and won this half of the Big Big Ten. So if I told you two months ago you're going to get Iowa plus ten and a half against anyone, you'd say, where do yeah. I sign? So, right. you know, and, and I think Iowa's getting closer to being back to that level and just nobody's looking at them because they're, they weren't in the playoff contention and they're in the weaker side of the Big Ten. So... Yeah, I, I like it, too. Consensus on Iowa. Any last word here? Uh, go blue. Even though we're going to have Iowa to cover, go blue. I would love to see them make their way into the playoff this year. No, uh, I mean, obviously, if Georgia is to win, then, you know, and Michigan wins and it's 1-2. So preference on who the potential matchup would be or you'll just take being in? I would like to see them play Cincinnati if they could. Um you know, they got the Luke Fickle, Ohio State backstory to it there. Sure. Um, and obviously, it's going to be a weaker opponent. I think they would manhandle Cincinnati. But either way, if they can get in, I think it's going to – I'm not going to complain about the opponent. I'm just going to be excited they're going to be able to get in. There he is, Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2. My name is Greg Frank at Undercover Greg. Both of us on Gambling Twitter. Follow the podcast as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. Enjoy championship Saturday, Bill. It's a really fun weekend in college football. And, uh, you know, I always I like how that Sunday afternoon selection show takes us right into the NFL. Yes, sir. It's going to be a fun, fun weekend. Enjoy. Thanks, Bill. All right. There he is, Bill Christie. I'm Greg Frank. Again, this has been another edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone enjoy your weekends. And of course, please play responsibly.